So welcome everybody to uh, satsang tonight and happy Mother's Day. So obviously, uh, the Divine Mother uh, is our theme tonight. I was thinking that uh, even though Mother's Day is uh, a commercial uh, holiday, still the Mother is extremely holy. And so uh, we've turned it into a holy event. <clears throat> so I'd like to uh, begin my program uh, as my guru Baba Muktananda used to do by saying in Hindi, which means with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. Of course, the first person you have to welcome is the one you go around with, and that is yourself. Uh, because a lot of people, especially, I think, in the West, in modern Western culture, have a lot of self-hatred. And they have what I call tearing thoughts, the thoughts that turn against one. I'm no good, I'm not worthy, I'm not enough, somebody else is better. If you think about that, it's an extraordinary phenomenon that your own mind turns against you and says things that your worst enemy doesn't say. Your worst enemy would say them if they knew them, but your own mind knows all your weak points and goes for the jugular all the time. These are called tearing thoughts. We all have them. And in our inner world, they're the greatest enemy to a peace and to joy. So um, it's very essential that we learn to love others and love ourselves. And first, we have to learn to love ourselves. And the great yogis of all the traditions say that no matter what you've done and no matter uh, how badly you've behaved, that in your innermost nature, you're intensely lovable. They say that the self, the pure soul, exists within every person. And it's because we get a little out of touch with it, or a lot out of touch with it, because our minds become twisted by greed and fear and other things, that we lose touch with that lovability and that beauty that's within. Through meditation, through self-inquiry, we try to get back in touch with that place inside, the clear space of good feeling, the place of love, and the place of peace within us. And I often call what we do here second education, uh, which refers to normal conventional education as first education. In first education, you learn about how to do stuff in the world. Um, you learn about science. You learn about social science. You learn about literature. And you learn about mathematics and so many different things. Uh, but one thing that's m supremely missing from our first education is to learn about ourselves, learn about how to become happy, how to become peaceful, how to become stable within ourselves. And that's the realm of second education. And it's not as though maybe our universities have neglected that, but for thousands and thousands of years, sages have been uh, studying second education teaching second education, teaching people methods, practices for peace, for inner peace, for inner joy. Um, and that's what happens in an ashram. And that's what we celebrate in these satsang programs. 
back in 1970 when I first heard about the path to the self, um, I became aware that just as uh, I was in the academic world, just as there were professors in the academic world, so there were professors in the world of second education. We call them sages, realized beings, saints, yogis. Uh, and I became uh, obsessed by the idea of meeting one and studying with them and learning the art of becoming happy because I had certainly not achieved that. Um, so these are the professors. And on Saturday nights in satsang, I celebrate these great professors of second education, the yogis and sages. And tonight we have a, a wonderful one. Turns out the first great yogi that I met when I got to India uh, <clears throat> was this person. And Mother's Day suitably she is Ananda Mayama, one of India's greatest saints of the 20th century. Uh, this is her as a young woman. Uh, you can perhaps tell it's full of divinity. You'll see this later. Uh, and then later, next. This is uh, the, how she was when I met her. She was elderly uh, towards the end of her life. Uh, and I had her darshan. I met her uh, outside of Delhi on my way up to the Himalayas to meet some other yogis. So Nanda Mayama, great being, born and 30th of April, makes her a Taurus, uh, 1896. And she died in August of 1982. In other words, a month before Baba Muktananda died. <clears throat> and um, when I met her, she was in her mid-70s, I guess. Her father was a, a Brahmin, a Vaishnava, Bhakta, a devotional singer. So she came from a spiritual background, and she herself was what I would call a spiritual genius. She had a spontaneous awakening as a very young girl, and her kundalini, her inner energy, awakened, and all kinds of processes started to take place within her spontaneously without her having to study anything very similar in some ways to Ramana Maharshi. Uh, it just spontaneously happened. Uh, and during her... Sadhana, she became, she split in two. She became the guru and the disciple. And the guru gave the disciple instructions and she went through it. Uh, and finally she reached the end of that. She married, uh, and she married her husband, whose name was Bolanov, Bolanov, who became her greatest devotee. And he traveled around with her. Uh, she was very humble and um, in our terms, peculiar, very emotional and sweet. Uh, and she would, she would never called attention to herself. She always talked about, she called herself this body or this child. Uh, but at the same time, she also had moods, spiritual moods. Of course, she was an emotional type, a devotional type. She would go into these different moods called chaos, where suddenly she would do something way over the top. Like one time she ate 80 chapatis. <laughs> it was a spiritual mood. <laughs> I know people do that, but it's not a spiritual mood. <laughs> uh, 
But at the same time that she was emotional and devotional, she was also highly intelligent. And she taught from the platform of Advaita Vedanta, very strong and very, very great strength too, very disciplined and uncompromising. And she spoke from the, the space of God consciousness and she didn't pull her punches. Um, so she was a child, but also a caring mother uh, who disciplined her children. She was extremely well known throughout India. Um, and Baba and her got together, they had a meeting during my stay with Baba. Uh, she met Gandhi. Uh, and if you've read the autobiography of uh, Yogi, there's pictures of her meeting Yogananda in the 30s in that. And she became Indira Gandhi's guru. <clears throat> Great soul. Um, and these are some dialogues and episodes from writings, or extensive writings uh, about her and her teachings emerged. So this is from around 1960. The writer says, Evermore seekers from abroad write to Mataji, they called her Mataji, it means mother, asking her for help and advice. The following are extracts from a letter by a European gentleman received last winter and her reply. And this is around 1960. Uh, here's what his letter, uh, he can only uh, sympathize with him. He says, will you hear my desperate appeal? For the last 35 years I've been seeking God, I've not found him. During 35 years, I've been investigating all religions so as to get peace. First European religions, then Indian ones. I've questioned masters of India, but alas, none of them could help me. And now after 35 years of vain research, I am without hope, desperate. Tell the Bible are peculiar. Anyway, I'm asking whether, as a result of this search, one will be driven to madness or suicide. I can no longer run after masters. I am exhausted. Manandamai is my last chance. I ask this question. Manandamai, happy mother, divine mother, pure mother, will you help me? I want to become pure as Manandamai. Why are you in this world if not to console your unhappy brothers? It's your job, right? Go help me. So this is her reply. Did you ever have, a, were you ever in the mood like that? Huh? It'd be good because that desperate, that means you really are a seeker. It's good. She replied, God is everywhere. He pervades everything. He whom you have sought in vain for so many years is not apart from you. Just as a man cannot be without bones, flesh, blood, and skin, so the one is present everywhere at all times, interwoven with everything that exists. <clears throat> a man who's gone forth in search of God, God will never give him back again. God is one's own self, the breath of one's breath, the life of one's life, the atma, the self, the essential self. But until his true self has been revealed, 
a seeker must never relax his search. By seeking, one will find the self within one's own grasp. To feel fatigued, exhausted, because one has not found them is a very good sign indeed. It indicates that one <clears throat> is hearing, is hearing the purification. Hearing? Is what? Nearing, nearing. Okay, it's nearing the purification of one's heart and mind. But what is this? Please don't think by searching for God one will be led to suicide. The contemplation of God and the repetition of his name conquers death. Never allow the mind to be lost in despair. <clears throat> Interesting line. Never allow the mind to be lost in despair. Because in my college years, I had a lot of despair. It never occurred to me that I was allowing, that I had a choice, that I was allowing my mind to be lost in despair. And the yogis say, we do have a choice, but not right at the beginning. At the beginning, our minds just sort of run automatically. We don't know the mechanism. But as we start to meditate and we start to understand how the mind actually works, we do gain choice, we gain control. If we have unhealthy train of thought, we learn how to get rid of that unhealthy chain of thought and turn to a, a healthy stream of thought. <clears throat> he says, for one who has sought God for 35 years, it's not right to contemplate suicide or madness. His mind should be much rather be absorbed in the remembrance of God. In God's creation, the possible becomes impossible and the impossible becomes possible at all times. In order that the, this fact may become evident, one must ever remember to sustain the thought of that which is real. In truth, I am always with you. So saying she's, as the guru principle, she's always with you. And it's important to remember the highest and not to dwell on the negativity, on the suffering. Mataji told her assistant, <clears throat> write to him that for the present it's imperative for him to remain concentrated with single-mindedness on the one goal. He should stay in solitude and endeavor with the help of mantra repetition and meditation to control his mind and thereby become firm, calm, and unwavering in his determination. So he gives a special uh, teaching, upadesh we call it, a spiritual practice for this fellow to go. And it reminded me of something I received from my guru when I went to a similar kind of mental breakdown when I was in, in his ashram, in the years I spent with him. I had a complete feeling of fear come up. And finally he said to me, just focus on repeating the mantra. Focus on Om Namah Shivaya full attention. And see, that focus brought my focus away from dwelling on what was scaring me, what was upsetting me. And in a couple of days of that full focus, my whole mood had shifted and it, it had gone away. So he, she's telling him, go into solitude, do intense practice, get your mind refocused. It's only the matter you're dwelling on your suffering. So you have to move the mind away from that and dwell on that which is higher and it will pull you out of it. Another one. This is, um, this is a wonderful dialogue 
from 1957 between Anandama and uh, a couple of visitors. Okay, this is in Varanasi, October 10th, 1957. An Irish journalist and a South Indian research student of the Benares Hindu University came for Mataji's darshan. The following conversation ensued. Question, am I right to believe that you are God? They asked her. So, so her reputation, she was held in such extreme esteem, bordering on awe, actually was awe, and they think of a realized being as God walking the earth, that the person is left and only God is there. So they, they have this whole mythology. But here's what she says. There's nothing save him alone. Everyone and everything are but forms of God. In your person, he also has come here now to give darshan to me. So God has come in your form to meet me. This is her view. Question then why are you in this world, Mataji? In this world? I am not anywhere. I am myself reposing within myself. <laughs> Question, what is your work? She's in a bob, a keal now, you can see, so you, you can imagine what she's going to answer that. Mataji, I have no work. For whom can I work since there's only one? What can you do? The, whatever you do, just the one will be there. The one's there now. Whatever I do just doesn't change the one. The one is there. Question, why am I in the world? Mataji, he plays in infinite ways. It is his pleasure to play as he does. So what's the answer to that? It's his sport. You can't say why you're here. Just somehow God created you and that's what you are. <clears throat> Question, but why am I in the world? Mataji, that's what I've been telling you. All is he, he plays in countless forms and ways. However, in order to find out for yourself why you are in the world, to find out who you are in reality, there are various sadness. So in order for you to find, I mean, it's true that this way, maybe from my point of perspective, from, from my anandamized perspective, from the perspective of sage, everything is one, there's no problem. But from the perspective of an individual who is suffering, there is a problem. And, the, and what that individual should do is practice one of the many sadhanas or do some spiritual practice and start to investigate and understand. He says, there are various sadhanas. You study and you pass your exams, you earn money, you enjoy the use of it, but all this is within the mundane realm in which you continue life after life, repeating the same kind of thing again and again. So normally you just keep going, you uh, go up and you go to school and you get married, you have kids and this and then you die. And you go after this, you look for that, and try to make, get some peace, get a, get a car, get a house, blah, blah, blah. This is all mundane. Then she says, but there's another path as well, the path of immortality, which leads to the knowledge of what you really are. 
Uh, and if you know the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the Bhagavad Gita says, calls it the Pravriti Marg and the Nivriti Marg, the path, worldly path and the spiritual path, the two different paths. And um, one leads to true knowledge of the self and to peace. Question, can anyone help me in this or must each one find out for himself? So what do I do to, how do I do it? Mataji says, the professor, I guess professor of second education, huh, can teach you only if you have the capacity to learn. Of course, he can give you help, but you must be able to respond. You must have it in you to grasp what he teaches. You have to be truly available to the teaching. I remember a story from Sri Ramakrishna's life that he had, it's not quite on point, but it's a good story. Um, one of his devotees used to pester him for Shaktipat to, uh, to awaken, to attain samadhi, and pester him, pester him, and Ramakrishna would say, no, no, not now, not now. And um, you have to, you know, you're not ready for it. So finally, pestered him so much, he said, okay, and he hit him. And he went into a trance, and he came out, then after he came out of the trance, he was in bliss, and he went off in bliss. A week later, he came back, he says, take it away from me. <laughs> I can't handle it. It's too much. And Ramakrishna said, see? Now you have to live with it. No. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. Uh, <clears throat> question. What is the best path to self-knowledge? Which is a good question in the context. Mataji, all paths are good. It depends on a person's samskaras, his conditioning, the tendency is brought from previous birth. Depends on your personality. If you're an intellectual type, there's one path. If you're an emotional type, another path. If you're more active, another path. There are different, different paths that suit you. It's one of the things that appealed to me when I first understood about yoga, that, that it wasn't one size fits all, that it was tailor-made to your, it's even more than that. Even within a general path, there's your specific take on that path. And so it's very customized. Uh, everyone has their own unique yoga to discover who they really are. And it's a wonderful process. She says, just as one can travel to the same place by plane, railway, car or cycle, so also different lines of approach suit different types of people. But the best path is the one which the guru points out. So the best path is the one that one of these professors of second education asks you to do, because it's not just something you read in a book and it appeals to you, it's something that comes from that source. Question, when there's only one why are there so many different religions in the world? Mataji, because he is infinite, there's an infinite variety of conceptions of him. So if everything is infinite, everything, there are infinite possibilities, infinite variety, different, infinite variations on the theme. <clears throat> An endless variety of paths to him. He is everything, every kind of belief, and also the disbelief of the atheist. One of his manifestations is atheism. 
Your belief in non-belief is also a belief, she says. When you speak of disbelief, it implies that you admit belief. It's true, isn't it? Uh, atheism is a very strongly held belief by many. <clears throat> he is in all forms, and yet he is formless. Question. From what you've said, I gather that you consider the formless nearer to the truth than God with form. So in India, there's a big discussion of the form and formless. We've talked about it before, about that they, they, the knowledge of Brahman, which is the absolute, they know that the highest power is without form. It's pure consciousness. And then that manifests as different forms, the forms of God, forms of the deity, and so on, different things. And so there's a debate. Bhaktas say you must have a form to worship because you're a human being. You need a form that gives warmth to it, gives interest to it. While the jnanis say, no, that's all garbage. You don't need a form. It's pure consciousness. Worship pure consciousness. And they've been fighting over this for thousands of years. But the great beings resolve it. Uh, and her answer is very interesting. She points out her philosophical stance. She says, is ice anything but water? <clears throat> form is just as much God as the formless. To say that there is only one self and all forms are illusion would imply that the formless was nearer to truth than God with form. I say every form and also the formless are he and he alone. So is she a Vedantin or a Shaivite? Shaivite. Because the Vedantins say that form the world that you see is unreal. This is actually what Advaita Vedanta says, that only the absolute, only the formless, only Brahman is real, and this world is an illusion. And the Shaivites say, how can that be true? This world is also part of God, part of consciousness, and so it's the same. It's just, it's the form, it's God in form, and they're one. So she's actually taking the stance of a, a Shaivite. Question. <clears throat> what have you to say about those who insist that only one religion is the right one? Mataji. All religions are paths to him. Question. I'm a Christian. That must be the uh, Irish journalist, right? <clears throat> Mataji. So am I. A Christian, a Muslim, Anything you like. <laughs> Question. Would it be right for me to become a Hindu? Or is my approach or is my approach by the Christian way? You must be drawn to the Hindu. Maharaji, if you're fated to become a Hindu, it will happen in any case. Just as you cannot ask what will happen in the case of a car accident. When the accident occurs, you will see. <laughs> it's a very it's a bad analogy, isn't it? <laughs> Question. <clears throat> if I feel the urge to become a Hindu, should I give way to it? Or is it right to suppress it since it said that everyone's been born where it is best for him? Mataji, if you really felt the urge to become a Hindu, you would not ask this question. You would just go ahead with it. So you'd already be a Hindu. You wouldn't be asking me. Don't ask me about it. 
<clears throat> Yet there's also another side to this problem. <clears throat> and I, one of the things I admired about her is she would, be, she would always think around all sides of the... She would always think around the whole topic from many points of view. So here's another side of this problem. It is true that you're a Christian, but something of a Hindu is in you as well, as otherwise you would not even know anything about Hinduism. Everything is contained in everything. Everything is contained in everything. Just as a tree yields seed, and from a single seed, hundreds of trees may develop, so the seed is contained in the tree, and the whole of the tree potentially in the tiny seed. So what he's saying is from the Shiva Sutras, yata tatra tatam yatra. Yata tatra tatam yatra. Uh, as here, so there. As above, so below. Whatever is here is also there. When it comes to consciousness, the whole is contained in the smallest piece of consciousness. <clears throat> Question, how can I find happiness? And that's the essential question, isn't it? Mataji, this is very funny. First tell me whether you're willing to do what I might ask you to do. <laughs> question, yes I am. Mataji, are you really? Very well. Now suppose I ask you to remain here. Will you be able to do it? Questioner. No, I couldn't. <laughs> everyone, everyone there left. Mataji, that's fine. But if you want to find real happiness, you'll have to give yourself fully to the quest. You don't have to leave your life as it is. You, you know, saying it's okay. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to give up your whole life. But real happiness does not come from external things. You have to find happiness in him who is everywhere, who is all-pervading, your own self. This is real happiness. Question, so you say happiness lies in finding myself? Mataji, yes. Finding yourself, discovering who you really are, means to find God, for there's nothing outside of him. Question, you say all of God but are not some people more God than others? Mataji, for him who asks this question, this is so. There are these distinctions for you. Some people are more filled with God than others. But in, she says, but in actual fact, God is fully and actually and equally present everywhere. So it's a double vision. So. In one sense, everybody from the, the most ignorant to the greatest sage is full of God. But on the other hand, there's big differences um, on the relative level. Question, is there no substance in me as an individual? Is there nothing in me that is not God? Person's worried, you know, who, who, who am I? Is am I only God? Where, where am I as a person? What about me? What about me, Chuck? <laughs> Mataji, no, not even in not being God. There is only God alone. Everything is he. 
I think that's her essential teaching. There's nothing but God. We might say there's nothing but consciousness everywhere. And when you really take that on as a point of view, it's great relief, actually. Question. Is there no justification at all for professional or any other mundane work? Saying, well, if you believe that, then, you know, what mundane life? Mataji. You should fulfill your worldly duties. But at the same time, you should choose the path to immortality. The Nivriti Marg. That is, she's saying, don't leave your life, but while you live your life, keep some focus on the highest truth. Keep your meditation going. Take any path that according, according to your temperament will lead you to the realization of yourself. Very empowering, because ultimately we are the arbiters. We, are, we make the choice, but we should always move towards greater self-knowledge, greater authenticity, greater inner empowerment, and we should find the path that we can understand, and then if that path is, is limited, then go to a better one, but we should always move towards a greater self-knowledge. Even while working in the world, you can do one thing. Whatever you do throughout the day, endeavor to do it in the spirit of service. Serve God in everyone, regarding everyone and everything as manifestations of him, and serve him by whatever work you undertake. If you live with this attitude of mind, the path of reality will open out before you. That's a very high bar, isn't it, to serve everyone, not to see them as enemies, as horrible creatures and as tormentors, but to serve them as all forms of, uh, of God. Great dialogue, isn't that one? Exceptional dialogue. <clears throat> Let's see, how are we doing? Okay, I think that's enough. I think uh, we'll meditate but we have a special treat because uh, Girish found uh, a video of Ananda Mai uh, when she was young, looks to me about 40-ish, I'd say probably, and uh, we'll, we can watch that for about five minutes. I think you'll get a sense of, the, of her inner space, of her great love and her great radiance. And after that, we'll meditate uh, for 10 minutes. So once again, happy Mother's Day. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Let's enjoy the darshan of Ananda Maimah. <clears throat> 